BLESS principle, B-L-E-S-S. B stands for be in prayer. Is it in the bulletin? I put it there. I should know that. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I know. Thank you for that, Tom. I'm encouraged by that. There's a handout out on the table back there. It includes the BLESS principle. And we, we made it up for you. And it also includes a couple of other things that are helpful uh, for this topic. And we, we, we made this available to you so that you could take it home and have it available someplace so you can be reminded of it as you consider uh, how God is using you in your neighborhood and among your, your, your relationships. As we continue to unpack the blessed principle, we build on each aspect. Um, we've talked about be in prayer last week, and this morning we will continue on with um, listening with care. But let me go back and let me just kind of build this out a little bit, just very briefly, some of the aspects of, of the blessed principle that I think uh, we see as we build it out. One is we love genuinely. We love genuinely. Scripture tells us in, in Matthew 22, this, this interaction with Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it, and... Oh, that was solid. Shall love the neighbor as yourself. Yes. It's, it's been pointed out to me that this command to love our neighbor is simple. There's nothing else added to it. And that was intriguing to me as I, as I, as I heard somebody say that. That doesn't mean that we don't point them to Jesus. Our, our, our hope and joy is to, to share Jesus Christ with those around us and those that we encounter, those we have conversations with, those we have relationships with. But Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, period. Just love. Be genuine about it. The command has no other law. Just love. Love your neighbor and let the Holy Spirit take it where he will. The second aspect of the blessed principle that, I, that I, I, is one of the foundation pieces is that we earn the right to be heard. We're not forcing ourselves on people. We're not, we're not, we're not out there trying to manipulate situations. We're just observant, and, we're, and we're, we're trying to be open to where the Spirit would lead us. And so we're trying to give some tools for that, but we need to earn the right to be heard with people. And then last week we talked about beginning with prayer and today our topic is listening with care. Now God seems to take listening pretty serious. Proverbs 20 verse 12 tells us that God created both the hearing ear and the seeing eye. If you do a simple word study in, in Scripture with words like listening or hearing, you'll find that it usually has to do with obeying God or disobeying God, not listening to God. He puts a lot of stock in us listening to him and following after him. Essentially, if you listen... You get wisdom. If you don't listen, you fall into folly and judgment. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, said this about listening and approaching God. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Listen to this. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. No, let your heart be hasty to utter word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Very similar thoughts to what we just read in John chapter 3. 
So when we think about that interaction between us and God, and God says, you know, you need to listen more than you speak, it doesn't, doesn't take us long to get back to the old proverb that, that we have that says, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak, right? That's not godly wisdom, but it sure is earthly wisdom, and it stands true. So when it comes to our relationships and our passion to reach people for Christ, listening is a key building block. If it's important to God, then we need to practice it in our lives with those around us. So I've said this in in both sermons prior to this, and that is that we know this. We know this truth. We know that active active, active listening is essential to healthy relationships and to effective outreach. I don't have to convince you that listening is foundational in our conversations, in our relationships. But I fear, I fear that most of us miss the conversational proportionality. You with me? Two ears, one mouth. Sometimes I think we forget that. It shows itself in talking too much. It shows itself in talking over the other person not letting them get a word in sideways, as we would say. It, it, it shows itself in leaving them feeling unimportant or unheard, not listened to. And I think you would agree with me, there's, there's much lost in a relationship where the communication is one way and where the tongue is more active than the ears. In outreach, we make another mistake related to listening, and that is that we jump right to the gospel presentation without paying attention to the clues in the other person's life, the context of their life. I'm going to say this. The gospel loses its impact if it isn't connected to the context of a person's heart and life. For that reason, we need to listen with care. We need to respond with empathy And there are times when we need to challenge with grace. But it's all connected to the context of a person's heart and life. And so this morning we come to the second important characteristic of a life inclined toward outreach. Listening with care. I believe everyone here has has a desire to be effective in reaching others with the life and the truth of Jesus Christ. If so, we need to be numbered among those who are skilled in listening to others. We need to be those who, when people are around us, they feel like they've been heard and listened to. As we begin this topic of listening with care, I I can't help but think that there are some obstacles in the way of of genuine conversation. I think we're living in a time, uh, uh, I don't need to say this either probably, We're, we're living in a time that's very polar, polarized. Us and them, red and blue, You just go on with the distinctions. We're very polarized. And part of that polarization is the stereotype of what it means to be a Christian. And so if if you lead with the fact that I'm a Christian, there might be some obstacles that come up right away. And I think it it does us well to, to talk about that this morning for just a moment. What obstacles might we face? All religions are the same. When we come to religious or spiritual worldviews, then it's just a smorgasbord, and we all just pick and choose, and and it's not even just all of this or all of that. It's a little of this and a little of that, and I'll I'll take that. 
I don't know, did you read the article this, this week in the Chaska Herald about the, the, the Hindu group that's now meeting outside of Chaska? And I didn't read the whole article, but I got enough to know that, that, that they are a different sect than Hinduism, although they've drawn heavily from Hinduism. I, I'm, I'd be curious to know more about how this works, but they have essentially taken parts of Hinduism, they've taken it out, and they've added a few more parts to it, and they've come up with their own idea of what their religion looks like. We do that across the board in our culture. All religion is the same. It's just a smorgasbord to choose from. Another obstacle might be that you can interpret the Bible any way you want. Have you heard that before? And now we, now we go farther with our divisions and our, and our, our categories, and we say the Bible wasn't, was written by, by men who are patriarchal, who are ethnocentric, ethnocentric, and fill-in-the-blank phobic. Right? And so therefore, I don't, why are you bringing this Bible to me? Why, why would you tell me that? That's another obstacle. Here's another obstacle. Nobody owns the truth. All truth is relative. So who are you to, to attempt to speak truth to me when all truth is relative? Another one that is, that is clearly emerging in our day is that feelings supersede logic and truth. And I, I imagine that we come with, with, our, with our faith and we, we, des, we desire to share God's word and to develop an argument with logic, but we can't do that because everything's based on feelings. And it seems like every week, every week, there's a new headline that comes out that somebody is upset and outraged. There was another one this week. I won't go into it. There was another one this week that feelings were outraged because, because somebody didn't match up. Somebody used logic. I didn't, don't know what I'm saying because I want to give the illustration, but it's kind of not worth our time this morning. Logic says that's bizarre, but you can't say that because our feelings would be hurt. That's where we are today. Some say, how can you, how can you say that you love me, but you don't accept my choices? That might be an obstacle to our conversations. Another obstacle might be imposing our truth on others. Who are you to say this? Um, who are you to impose your truth on my group, my, 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 my identity? And along with that, we, you're, when you come along with a, a contrary view, such as, such as your faith and such as biblical Christianity, you are invalidating somebody's sense of identity. You're rocking their boat. Another obstacle might be the, the, the reputation of others before us. And we, we hear this often, I'm sure, if you attempt to share your faith with somebody, well, I know this preacher that fell because of this, and I know this, this preacher that teaches that, and I know my, my brother, he says he's a Christian and he does this. So there's a lack of trust right from the start because of somebody else's reputation. Then there's the collision with conventional wisdom. And I believe that as we get deeper and deeper into the end of the age, our wisdom coming from Christ Jesus is going to stand in stark contrast to the wisdom of the age. We're already seeing that. Some people might say you're attempting to dominate or control me or my, my group. Everybody's in groups today, including us, imposing power over other groups. You're intolerant, you're dogmatic. In, in, in another case, someone has, someone has said that, that there's no common meta-narrative anymore. 
the big story of our Western history with all its accomplishments and contributions is he wrote it into a million smaller stories is the way I heard somebody say it. These stories focus on the negative. They focus on injustice, conflict, competition, racism, class division, victimhood, etc. Just make up the whole list. We love to categorize all the discussions. We love to categorize all people. And now we have intersectionalism, which says that if you have a common victimhood, then you can join together with other victim groups. It's, a, it's quite a fabric that we're weaving together. So as we seek to be witnesses for Christ, we're in a struggle for the hearts and the minds and the imaginations of those around us who are influenced by a plethora of other worldviews and choices. That makes listening all the more important. We need to understand where people are coming from in order to portray and explain the gospel in their context, in their language. Listening is, is key to breaking through these barriers and these obstacles. So let's go on. Listen with care. Now, I've never been to an escape room, but I know some of you have. Raise your hand. Come on, Caleb. Raise it nice and high. Okay, nobody knows if they want to say that or not. But I, I, help me out here. But if, if you go into an escape room, they lock you in a room, and you are left in there, and you have to find the clues, and you have to interpret the clues in order to find your way out of the locked room. Am I, am I describing that right? Okay, Caleb's nodding his head yes. Okay. They tell me it's great fun, but I, <laughs> I have my hesitations about it. Something about being in a locked room and... I know I'm not good with the clues, so I'm going to be in the locked room for a long time. And I, I, know there's rules, I know there's rules about that. But as long as I'm not in a locked room, I'm pretty good at listening for clues in a conversation. Active listening is just that, identifying clues and sorting through them to open doors into a relationship. That's all active listening is. There are rules that go along with active listening. They include body language, uh, you're, you're leaning into the conversation, eye contact, asking clarifying questions, drawing out aspects of a story. Oh, is, oh if, if you, you went on that vacation, does this mean you saw that, et cetera, et cetera. Ask clarifying questions and to get, go deeper into the story. It also means not being bored. Try not to yawn in the middle of a conversation. Getting distracted or losing focus on the conversation. Don't take out your phone and start doing this in the middle of a conversation. That's not active listening. It means paying attention and listening for key ideas. It, it means listening for emotions into a story. In fact, one clarifying question could be, how did that make you feel? It means listening for experiences and expanding on those experiences. The gospel gives us lots of, ex lots of examples of how Jesus interacted with people. And it's a fascinating study. He seemed to know how to assess someone's background, how to, how to get at their motives, and, and the needed response back to them. He was a master at meeting people where they were. And for example, I'd like to look at the encounter with Nicodemus that night early in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 3. So let's turn there if you would. Let's just walk through John chapter 3 and the encounter with Nicodemus and see how this active listening plays out in the ministry of Jesus.
I'll start at verse 1. Let's just walk through this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, all right, first stop. We need to understand where people are coming from. Who am I talking to? What, what, where, where, what's their life like? What's their story? What can I understand about this person? So what do we understand about Nicodemus? Right there, John introduces him to us. What do we know about him? He's a, he's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so he has, he's a man of position. He's a man of authority. He's a religious leader. He presumably is well-versed in the scriptures. Presumably, that's a little sarcastic. He is well-versed in the scriptures. He's a leader, religious leader, a Pharisee. He knows the word backwards and forwards. And he came to Jesus by night. Why did he come to Jesus by night? Well, we're not quite sure. John doesn't quite tell us. Maybe he was afraid to be seen by others with Jesus. Probably more likely, he just wanted some private time with Jesus. And so he came when he knew that Jesus would be alone and that he could talk to him. We don't really know exactly. But that also tells me, that also tells me that he's a seeker. He sought out Jesus. And that's another aspect to understand. Did he seek out Jesus? In this case, he did. He's a seeker. What, what, does it mean? what does that mean? It probably means that if he's a religious leader and he's seeking out Jesus, who we'll learn in a minute that he's, he's seen, he thinks he's a good teacher, well, that he's probably looking for a theological discussion, which means we can probably start at a different place. So active listening means I know where I can put in in the discussion. If he's seeking me out, and if he's got, giving me clues that he wants a theological discussion, then I'm ready, and that's where we're starting. Okay, you with me? Listening means understanding the background and the story of a person. It may inform the why of, the why of uh, his questions, her answers, her discussion points, her directions. Here's, look at verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What did we learn? Nicodemus opens up the conversation by saying, here's what I know. This is it. Here's what, I, here's what I know. This is what I understand. You're a teacher from God, and God is with you. That's evident. I see it. This, so that's the starting point. Where, where, where is Nicodemus putting in? He understands these things. That's, that's way up the scale. But look at Jesus' answer. And I've often, I don't know, like, maybe like me, you're, you're a little bit surprised at where Jesus goes with this. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Why did he say that? Nicodemus led with spiritual insight. He led with, Je with who Jesus is. I understand who you are. You're a good teacher. And Jesus responds back, but you can't see heavenly things unless there's some sort of a transaction. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. So you can only go so far. I, the, the, the image of a, a, a person standing at a fence and, and doing this to look up and over the fence a little bit. Trying to look into, in this case, heaven, eternity. Well, this, this much I know. That you're a good teacher. That God is with you. God is speaking through you. I know that. Jesus said you, you can't see eternal truths without an access code. Without a password. Without a transaction. 
without a work of the Spirit, you can't see into the heavenly realm. So verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Sounds like a crazy question, but it's, a, it's an honest, it's a genuine question. What do you mean? Do you want me to get back inside my mother and, and try this again? What, what does this mean? You see, one of the things that we often, that, that we encounter as followers of Christ, let alone those who are, are pre-Christians or haven't heard the word of Jesus yet, we have earthly eyes and we're trying to understand heavenly things. Nicodemus, is, he can't see above the fence. He can't see into eternity. And so he's trying to figure this out with a human calculation and he can't see it. Well, what do you mean, born again? How do I go through that physical process all over again? And Jesus says, no, that's not it. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we know about Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews, a spiritual leader. He knows the Scripture inside and out. He knows the promise of God given all throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on his people. He knows that the Holy Spirit is part of the equation. He knows that. So this should not be a shocker when Jesus said you need to, be, uh, you need to experience a work of the Holy Spirit, that you need to be born of the Spirit. Verse 9. Go down to verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus I think he's close to giving up. I just, can't, I just can't understand this. I can't get this. How can I possibly know these things? And then look at the tone of Jesus, verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I'd like to know what the tone of voice was when he said that. I'd like to know if it was sarcastic. I'd like to know if it was a little bit frustrated, a little bit, maybe a little twinged with anger in there? What do you mean? You, 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 you tell me that you're a Pharisee, a ruler of the people, a spiritual leader of the people, and you don't understand these things? Or was it, or was it I hope, more like a, more like a point of humor? <laughs> I, I, really? You're a teacher and you don't understand these basic principles that I've given you? Really? Say it with a, a smile on and a little bit of a chuckle? I don't know how Jesus said it. I know how I would say it. And I would do it like that. Really? You just let me know that you're, you know all about these spiritual things, and yet you've never heard of this. And this is a basic foundational truth. That can be said with a little bit of humor and a little bit of a smile. And then we keep going. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know when we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And he goes on. But you know what Jesus did at that point? He shared his testimony. This is my story. I've come down from heaven and I'm, I'm telling you heavenly things. He shared his testimony. I've seen and I've known. You see, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue 
Nicodemus knows the Torah and the Old Testament law, but without a work of the Spirit in his heart and his mind, he can't see the truth and identity of Jesus. So don't you wish that every, every conversation that you were in, every conversation that you were in progressed that rapidly? Don't you wish that? Don't you, we, boom, 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 boom. Just like that, we got to those kinds of statements. But it doesn't often happen like that. Instead, we're left to have multiple discussions over a long period of time, sometimes years, with each conversation hopefully yielding more insight into the heart and mind and worldview of somebody. And with it, as Jesus did, we can begin to layer in spiritual questions and possibly even spiritual truths. I keep thinking, Romanian says, Paskupas, step by step, step by step. Nicodemus was a spiritually informed seeker who was looking for a theological conversation. I'm guessing that Nicodemus was also open. He wasn't skeptical. As, as, I like to, as I like to say, he was an honest skeptic if he was a skeptic. He was willing to hear the truth. Sometimes you'll talk to somebody and they're not an honest skeptic. They just love to argue. They just love the debate. They don't really care about a conclusion. They don't really care to move the needle forward. That's not an honest skeptic. But if he was skeptical, he was an honest skeptic. For those who come to us like this with an open heart, open mind, open discussion, we can likely go deeper and, and quicker into our spiritual conversations as we listen to their stories. Active listening. Second point is to respond with empathy. And I'd like to walk our way through John chapter 4, the woman at the well, but... We're not going to have time to do that today. But let me just say this. The woman at the well, read John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well, and walk your way through it, and look at how Jesus unfolds that conversation. It's an amazing story. Our listening skills also need to include that of responding with empathy, with compassion. If you notice in, in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to this woman at the well, and and he just kind of peels back the onion, as we say, of her life. And he, and he comes to a place in the conversation where she confesses that she's not married. In fact, Jesus said, you know, you've had multiple husbands, multiple men in your life. And she's, she's laid bare and all of that. And he says twice, you're right in saying that. And so he, he, he affirms her. He's, he doesn't affirm her, her decisions or choices or actions. He, he, just, he just enters into what she's saying. And I think that transparency in our conversations, that empathy in our conversations will open up conversations for us. And we're seeing that in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, that there's much gained in a conversation that is a two-way sense of transparency, two-way sense of compassion and empathy, working, identifying with somebody else's situation. When we share our hearts, when we share genuine feelings, when we share our experiences, and it's a two-way street, relationships begin to unfold. In John chapter 4, Jesus had a conversation with a woman who's caught in bad choices. She had a bad reputation. And eventually he gets to the place where he says he is living water. She begins to understand that. He begins to reveal her life as he saw it, and it was accurate. And she said, I, I believe you're a prophet. And Jesus kept leading her along and leading her deeper into her understanding of who he was. Until at the end of the conversation, when the disciples came to the well and the woman was there, and she had been in this conversation with Jesus, and 
And, and her final question to Jesus, her statement to Jesus was, I know, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll, he'll tell us all these things that we need to know. Remember how Jesus answered? This is amazing. Remember how he answered? He who speaks to you, is, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And just then, all the, this is the way it works, isn't it? When you're sharing with somebody, this is the way it works. You get right to that moment where everything's crescendoing, closing in on a truth, and the profound moment is there, and then all of a sudden, everybody pours into the coffee shop, or the door swings open, and a whole bunch of people walk in, or whatever. And in that moment, all the disciples returned from town. They got the food. They came back. Jesus, how you doing? And she, and she just heard him say, I am the Messiah. Wouldn't you love to be there in that moment? Did her mouth drop open? She was led to that place, and she was led with what our third point is, and that is to, to challenge people with grace. He left her with that news, with that information, and now she had to, she had to decide on that information. He's the Messiah. That was the challenge with grace. He also challenged Nicodemus, and in, in his story, he challenged Nicodemus, do you believe that I am who I say I am? Do you understand that your religion is not, is not adequate enough for you to understand these things? He challenged Nicodemus as well. So I don't know if challenging with grace is actually part of active listening, but I think it's part of us trying to help somebody as we listen, just a, even just a small step, just a, little, just a little insight to move them a little bit farther down the line towards relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish we could have walked through John chapter 4 together. It's such a great story. Well, so what do we do with this listening with care? <clears throat> As I think about it, um, let me try this out for an illustration this morning. I recently took up the hobby of um, shooting handguns. So I just lost all the anti-gun people in the whole audience, I suppose. I, I took up the hobby of shooting handguns, and I, I signed up with Stock and Barrel, free promo for Stock and Barrel up in Chanhassen. And I go up there, and I shoot. I've taken lessons. I've taken classes on how to, how to do this better and to understand all this. And I, slowly, 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 I'm getting better at it. I stopped shooting holes in the ceiling and stuff like that. I took a class, and it was... Um, how to draw your handgun from a holster. I just thought that would be fun. So I bought a holster, put it out here, and, um, and we go through this whole instruction on how to draw from a holster. It turns out, I, I believe it's a five-point setup, okay? Like this, like this, um, like this. I don't even remember how to do it anymore. Something like that. There's five points that you go along the way and you draw it up and you hold it down like this and then, then you bring it up like this and you keep your thumbs like this and five-point step. So I got it. I got it. We practiced in the classroom with empty guns, obviously, and we practiced and I got it. Okay, I got it. Five, one, two, three, four, five. I got it. This is good. So the instructor takes each one of us out on the range and we load the guns up and he says, okay, now... Show me how you're going to do this. And, and I got, I, my, it's under my shirt, so I can't get my shirt up. So I unbutton my shirt all the way up to here so that I can just do this. 
And I, that's the first step, by the way. I missed that. You throw your shirt out like this. You pull the gun out. You put it up here. And I get out on the range, and I can't remember a stinking thing. And it's like, okay, one, two, three, four, five. And the instructor is just looking at me like, didn't we just practice this? And I said, I think I forgot everything you taught me. But you know, the point is that it, is, it was clunky. When you're, I'm not ready to be in a Western movie yet, okay? <laughs> not ready to do that. And the instructor will vouch for me on that. Here's my concern, is that, is that we listen to these things. I gave you three great points today on how to, how to participate in active listening, and there's probably much more to it. But I don't want you to think of it as a five-point process. I'm hoping that, that all of us will will we'll ingrain this, these ideas, these principles, and we saw it from John chapter 3. If you study John 4, there's more illustrations in the notes. If you begin to study that from Scripture and look at how Jesus approached people, and then we begin, to, we begin to just let these thoughts percolate in our minds and in our hearts. And then when we go out on the, on the street or, or talk to our neighbors over the fence or, or whatever conversation we're in, it's not, okay, one, two, three, four, five. It's just, it's just smooth. And I begin to, I begin to in, by intuition, just dig into the hearts and minds of people, and I begin to ask questions, and I begin to genuinely love and care for the person that I'm talking to. And it's seamless, and it's fluid. My fear is that we'll think of this as a five-step process, and I'm going to do this, and then this, and this, and it's all going to be linear, and it doesn't work like that. It's a mindset. It's an attitude of intentionality in our relationships. And it's an attitude of letting the Holy Spirit go where he will. And as the door opens up in various areas, I simply walk through it because the field has been cultivated. And, and, and I've been able to integrate these things into our conversations. And all of a sudden, and I, I, I guarantee, I guarantee the Holy Spirit will work. And doors will open and you'll have opportunities to slide in the whole gospel presentation, your whole testimony, or at least just even a part of it today with our goal being to help somebody move closer in their spiritual journey to knowing Jesus. And I pray that it is smooth for us, listening with care, responding with empathy, and challenging with grace. Just put those in our heads and see if we can see God at work in those this week. Amen? Lord Jesus, we're, we're called to...